This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. This is quite literally a daily conversation for me. The question is, what's next? And in some cases, relative to COVID-19, what's happening right now? These are indeed confusing times. We're living in the almost tragic real-life irony of the famous Abbott and Costello routine, who's on first? Well, we're opening our businesses. No, actually, we're closing. Come to the ER, but don't show up for an elective procedure. What's elective? Well, that depends on where you live or on what day it is sometimes. Drink some Clorox. No, don't try that. But how about some hydroxychloroquine? The president of Brazil and others are swearing by it. Figuring out the rules is like spinning the roulette wheel, and who knows where that marble is going to drop on each spin. So before talking about what's next, let's talk a little bit about what's now. If you're in an ICU, well, your life's probably crazy, or at least the threat of crazy is always peeking around the corner. As one physician said to me recently, I've seen more death in the last four months than I thought I'd see in my entire career. That's just hard to believe, and And harder yet to understand, I believe, if you aren't really there. The mental and emotional toll just must be staggering. Yet, we have the maskless hordes bellying up to the bar or standing shoulder to shoulder for some very important, at least important to them, event or function or activity. Regardless, they know you will be there to pull them from the deep end should COVID-19 decide to pull them under. Then, there's the ER. Wow. The stories I've heard, it seems those in the hospital-based facilities, those serving as the staging ground between the ICU and the rest of the world, well, they're swamped, but not swamped in their usual way. It's the knife and gun club meets the COVID-19 victim. The pendulum isn't swinging back and forth, it's just sort of spinning. Then there are the freestanding ERs. I'm told by many of closures because the patient base they were designed to serve, they're simply too afraid to go to the ER. As one physician commented offhandedly, it seems people would rather die at home from a heart attack than get treatment and risk COVID-19. For others, I'm speaking with surgeons who usually schedule about 15 procedures a week while they're now relegated to three to five slots and that's it. Some tell me of various restrictions imposed in their hospitals while only minimal surgical restrictions are required by a competitor hospital a few miles away. Then we get to primary care. In my personal experience, primary care has become almost entirely a telephone, video chat, or text messaging event. The iPhone has become the doctor's office. It's like all of medicine and healthcare have been put in a paper bag and are being shaken up, waiting to be spilled out on the floor to see what survives and in what configuration that survival will take. Then when I talk to non-healthcare people, they express expectations about returning to normal in six months or maybe early next year or mid-year at the latest, but what is normal? You know, looking back at normal, I can't help but recall when I flew to Chicago from Denver on September 9th, 2001, I breezed through Denver International Airport, dragging my bag toward my assigned gates. No stops, no hassles. I was lucky also that at O'Hare in Chicago, I'd rented a car since my meetings for the next couple of days were in the burbs. However, that Tuesday morning, the world changed. I said I was lucky I'd rented a car because my 6 p.m. return flight on September 11th, 2001, it was canceled, as was every flight 
in the United States that day. When I reached the first toll booth that afternoon on the Chicago Expressway, I simply asked, which way's Colorado? Well, about 12 hours later, and trust me, through western Nebraska and the Colorado Plains, I drove for miles at more than 100 miles an hour and never saw another car. About 12 hours later, I arrived again at DIA and then home. I didn't fly again for a few weeks, but that next time, I believe it would have been easier to break into Fort Knox than to get to my assigned gate. Shoes off, belt off, nothing in my pockets. My omnipresent fountain pen was examined, and I was questioned about it being a potential weapon. That was, and now that is, normal. 3,000 Americans have been killed, and it changed the world. Normal changed in an instant. Today, more than 130,000 Americans have died from COVID-19, and more than a half a million around the world, and this is a threat we continue to live with every minute of every day. Yet we think we should return to normal. It's somewhat understandable, I guess. We still have people striding into airports armed with their Glocks or their Bowie knives only to be confiscated. Did you know last year, TSA, they took more than 4,000 guns at checkpoints throughout the U.S.? I'm not sure what those people think is normal. Regardless, some pushback, some idiots are to be expected. I guess it's a constitutional right to be a fool. But the point is, normal is not now. But normal next year, it's not going to be normal compared to last year. Just like my Sunday afternoon flight was very different from the next one. So will our lives, our interactions, our work environments, and our social structures likely be different going forward than they are today and than they were six months ago. What then? What is next? Well, again, that depends. Many hospitals are taking a financial hit. May some close? Possibly. Independent medical practices, at least those outside the definitions of emergency or COVID-19-related services, they likewise are living with drastic reductions in revenue. Both of these scenarios have the opportunity for negative systemic changes in the healthcare system and in medical practice. Consider the hospital. As fewer patients are seen at the primary care level, what I'll call the first tier of patient testing that is referred to the hospital, well, it disappears. If patients aren't having blood drawn, then med techs are laid off. The same for imaging. The first to go will be those today likely doing the most work. Then, as fewer patients are both being tested and being admitted, fewer rooms are needed to be cleaned, fewer meals prepared, fewer meds administered. Again, it's the first level of worker who will be expendable. What happens when normal, and I say normal in quotes, what happens when normal returns? What happens is this. Hospitals won't have the human capital capacity to care for as many patients. Those first employees to be let go are also the most flexible employees when it comes to their next jobs. If a housekeeper can clean a hospital room, he or she can clean a hotel room or a restaurant. Actually, with their higher levels of training to meet joint commission and other standards, they really become preferred workers. And once they have a new stable job, they're unlikely to return. After all, they were literally willing, just like you, to risk their lives in doing their jobs, but not now. What tomorrow's normal may well mean is a physical, technological, and human restructuring of how healthcare is delivered. Physical facilities may change to create more self-contained, separate environments so that various disease outbreaks, whether viral, bacterial, or others, well, they may be more easily contained. The same is true with technology. A surgeon friend has commented several times that with a robot, 
he does not really need to be in the same room as the patient. That's just the way we've evolved to this point. And technology for patient monitoring, for contact tracing, well, those technologies already exist at the personal deployment level. They just aren't used that much because, well, today it's easier and cheaper to have a low-level tech perform the duties. But that's going to change. And the human element? Well, I've already had three text message and four email physician visits since March. Because fewer office-based physicians are seeing a regular patient load, when I commented to the family physician who first answered my text that I was calling about a dermatology question, it took fewer than 30 seconds for the message to be handed off to a board-certified dermatologist. Usually, if my PCP wanted to refer me to a dermatologist or any other specialist, it would take at least a few days, if not a few weeks. So my guess is that many patients are quickly acclimating to a new way to interact with not just their usual physicians, but with an entire array of specialists. And for many, these text or digital visits may have zero copay. What's next then is that as lower level staff are eliminated, the first due to service reductions and lost business, many of those will remain eliminated based on structural changes in the healthcare and medical delivery systems. And others yet will simply have moved on to their next far less stressful jobs. Right now, my Apple Watch tracks my heart rate and is linked to a university heart study that will alert me if an arrhythmia is detected. Smart watches are expanding their medically related systems monitoring and data collection and transmission capabilities. Home testing is expanding exponentially. It's cheaper to send a home blood sample collection kit to a patient requiring regular screenings and to have a med tech on duty to collect their blood at the hospital. Likewise, it's less expensive for a general internist to speak directly with patients via video chat than to operate an office. Or, as in the white paper titled The Future of Medical Practice that I wrote in 2012, physicians may direct the office activities of a dozen mid-level providers via video link and only intervene upon request or based on an observed need. Why not? So what's next for you? Well, that depends. First, it depends on what you want to do, literally. What do you want to do? Now is not the time to settle for what you can do or should do. Now is the time to do what you really want to do. Change, confusion, crisis, all these things represent opportunity. So, do you want to simply continue with whatever practice opportunity develops? That's certainly an option. Or, do you want to try to find a practice somewhere that will be more like it used to be? That... That is a practice that can look more like your practice in 2019. Well, I'm sure that's possible as well. Think on the margins, however, if that's your objective. Consider rural and wilderness areas, but at the other end of the spectrum, consider a concierge practice. Also, think globally. Yes, globally. Perhaps you always wanted to live on the beach. Well, the Caribbean is full of them, and board-certified U.S. trained physicians are at a premium. Do you want to jump in with both feet into the world of the pandemic, perhaps into the next coronavirus, into zoonotics perhaps? Again, depending on what you've been doing for the past six months, that is your involvement with COVID-19, either directly or indirectly, as a practitioner or at a, or at a policy and procedure level, then, as I'm sure you believe, this problem is not leaving us. It will only mutate into the next problem or problems. Do you want to entirely leave medical practice? Then I'll return to the initial question. What do you want to do?
Do you know that of all the career fields that are generally considered professional, administrative, or executive in nature, medical practice represents only about 1.7%. So what do you want to do equals the other 98.3%. It's a big area to survey. And that extends from buying six fast food franchises to helping private equity groups better fund those next new healthcare technology developments to helping determine how to design and redeploy the hospital, the health system of the future. And this area, again, the 98.3%. Well, just as hospitals and health systems should be looking at new systems, processes, and facilities, so is the rest of the world. Any business or industry that survives serving groups of the public is at a true crossroads. From restaurants to movie theaters, amusement parks, our school systems, our legal system, an extraordinarily diverse group of businesses and industries is and will be struggling to figure out how to create and implement new successful business models. And each of those models will be reliant on healthcare experts to help with social distancing, interaction monitoring, working relationships, and various other factors predicated both on medicine and the relationship between medical management and technology. And let me stress the technology component. Simply advising on the distance desks should be a, a part. What's not enough? You need to bring together the physical, mental, and medically-based issues with technology solutions. I was reading a recent publication speaking to the efficacy of working from home and some of the challenges organizations faced from employees who took working from home as more of a vacation than work. Physicians can help in the analysis of personalities that will work best in different settings. Up to now, the work setting, that is the physical work environment, was mostly driven by cost and by effectiveness and efficiency. Most people hate cubicles, but they have been efficient uses of space. Now, as alternative spaces are considered, fit within those spaces will be a more important issue. Some people can work from home, some can't. It's that simple. I've had a home office for nearly 20 years, and it's served as my primary office for more than half that time. However, I grew up, so to speak, in a very buttoned-down organizational world and with very defined office hours that certainly could always be extended but never abbreviated. To this day, I show up in my office at a prescribed time and I don't leave until what I consider the end of the day. And like before, I may extend those hours, but I rarely shorten them. That is the mentality required for those working from home. Those without that, they need a more structured environment. But just think about that. Those are areas where you can be the organizational leader. So again, what's next? Well, it's up to you. You may either allow events to unfold and like a leaf on the water in a stream, go with the flow and hope you don't sink. Or you can look beyond the current situation. You can project what you believe may happen. You can study, read, talk with other experts and make definitive choices about what really will be next for you. Now, it is your choice. If you decide to remain in practice and go with the flow, that's great because we will most certainly face ongoing physician shortages as so many stars align to create them. But if you decide to step away from practice, remember the 98.3% is out there waiting for you to knock on their door. So what's next? Well, let me know what you decide. Once again, for Third Evolution, non-clinical careers for physicians, this is Robert Pretty. For comments about this or any of my podcasts, don't hesitate to contact me at 720-339-3585. That's for voice, message, or text. 
and visit me online at thirdevo.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.